Welcome to Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, a podcast hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors, the show that brings you illuminating interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders throughout all corners of the real estate sector. Each episode will feature different masters in real estate, revealing challenging lessons they've learned, their secrets to success, and opinions regarding the state of the market. This is Joshua Boren, Managing Director of Strategic Initiatives at RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you know that since 1967, RCL Co. has been the first call for real estate developers, investors, the public sector, and non-real estate companies seeking strategic and tactical advice regarding property investment, planning, and development. Welcome to the latest episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate. Today, we're bringing you something a little different from our standard interview format. 2021 will mark the second anniversary of our podcast, and in the two years since we began, we've been incredibly lucky to speak to some of the most thoughtful and inspiring leaders in the real estate industry. One topic that we discussed at length is change, both in terms of the historical trends and developments that have shaped the careers of our guests, as well as the forces currently at play in the sector that will impact the next generation of real estate practitioners. Given the massive amount of change that has gripped the world in the past several months due to the coronavirus, we thought we would take this opportunity to share some of these clips and let you hear from the best minds in real estate about how to adapt to changing marketing dynamics, the events that have shaped the current state of the real estate industry, and what the future might hold in store for 2021 and beyond. Let's start by looking back at some of the major events that shaped some of the best minds cohort. First up is Mike Neal. President and CEO of HG Fenton Company, who spoke to our chairman, Gotti Kaufman, about learning the cyclical nature of the real estate markets during the Great Recession and the importance of strategic planning to navigate downturns. Well, of course, if we're talking in the last 10 years, we're talking the window of the Great Recession, which uh, for many of us was a great reminder that uh, just how, how cyclical real estate can be. And how important fundamentals are. We, as I as I mentioned, we we focus on cash flow. We probably focus more on cash flow now after 2008, and even we had prior. We make sure we match our development activities and the level of development activity with the ability to absorb the risk of that development activity not going well and still have good cash flow. So I'd say I put that in the category of focusing on fundamentals and the fact that there can be some downside. We also recognize that there were terrific buying opportunities during that period, and we were fortunate enough to have cash and and take advantage of those. And so that balance of being in the market and always being in the market at some level, because it's almost impossible to time the market, but also making sure there's dry powder, because no matter what, we're going to go through other cycles. And so it's really a matter of those areas of focus as we put them into our strategies, um, running our, our company in five-year strategic plans, as you highlighted, and making sure we have a cycle outlook in that and, and emphasize our, our business accordingly. That's exactly right. We found that any strategic planning exercise requires an economic and real estate cycle outlook, and that couldn't be more relevant given the ongoing performance of the retail and hospitality sectors as we enter February 2021. Jonathan Roth, managing partner at 3650 REIT, had a similar observation regarding some of the business patterns that seem to come with each market cycle and how operating on a relationship basis can mitigate the worst impacts of cyclical downturns. 
my experience through times of, of distress, whether it be RTC, whether it be the Russian, um, you know, uh, the venture uh, debacle, you know, Russian crisis or the tech, the bursting of the tech bubble um, or the global financial crisis. Every time we go into a crisis, there are some pretty consistent patterns that emerge. And one of them is just, you know, it always amazes me how um, folks that, and this is not to disparage anybody, it's just, it's a different way of building a business, but, you know, the use of leverage on leverage is, you know, oftentimes just, you know, blows up when there is a dislocation in the capital markets. And so, you know, the pattern that, you know, that I've always seen in times of dislocation is that leverage not, that is not perfectly matched uh, with the underlying asset tends to work uh, against you in a very material way when there's, you know, when there's a dislocation. So, you know, I would say, are there similarities today during the COVID, uh, you know, pandemic? For sure. We see the same firms blowing themselves up that we saw during the global financial crisis. It's just, you know, it's a decade plus or minus later. Um, and, you know, and what I, what I would also just add, and I said this a minute ago, but it bears, you know, repeating for emphasis is that what we do as, um, you know, as real estate investors, lenders, owners, operators, is as much about the underlying real estate as it is a study in human behavior. If you have a relationship with your borrower from day one, when things get tough, and that you know can come in any different form. It can be a global pan, it could be a pandemic, or it can be a tenant bankruptcy. But when things get tough, having that relationship with your borrower, being able to sit across the table and tackle those real issues, as opposed to getting to know one another and you know getting to that human behavior element where there's you know there might be a little distrust. We get right to the point. We have the ability to get right to the point because we have the relationship. So lots of lessons learned. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, over time, as we all get a bit older and, uh, you know, there's, there are patterns that, that emerge, you know, every time. While many of our best minds shared the historical events that shaped their careers, others discuss the trends and factors that are currently shaping the real estate industry and what we can expect in the future. One of the major topics that came up was shifting demographics and the increasing market share of the millennial generation cohort. Tom Bazzuto, chairman and co-founder of the Bazzuto Group, had this to say. The most significant change that has occurred in our industry, maybe in American industry generally, has been the changing behavior of the millennial generation relative to their predecessors. When I got into this business and, you know, through certainly through the 80s and 90s, we were building apartments that were largely intended to be a way station between when the, the people would leave in between college and when they, you know, at, at 24, 25 years old got got married and started having kids and bought their suburban house. That was the case and, and those properties were in the suburbs and, and and but what has changed is that we had this whole population that, that started coming out of college in two thousand five or so and that wanted to live in the cities. 
and in fact were postponing marriage until their mid-30s and postponing childbirth until they were in their mid-30s. And, and I, you know, there's no doubt that has driven the demand. It, it drove the homeownership to rental ratio from 70% homeownership down to 63, 63.5 that it is today. It has filled all of the apartments that we've been building in urban areas. While the suburban demand remains strong, it's, it's, it's a demand for a different type of product to a significant degree. It's, it's, a, it's a product that has urban-like amenities around it. And how do I see that changing, I think, is it's an open question as to whether those folks now, as they marry, will be following in their parents' footsteps and moving into the suburbs. I believe some will. But I think there are many, I guess I'll say there's just many, who, having lived in urban areas for a very long period of time, have gotten spoiled by the ease of living in cities and will find some way to continue living in towns. So I think that that focus on the customer has probably, they, that the type of customer has dominated the change that's affected our industry in the past 10 years. Another trend that got multiple mentions was the increasing institutionalization and professionalization of the real estate investment landscape. Steve LeBlanc, founding partner of CapRidge Partners, spoke about how this trend has evolved over the past several decades and the changes that will be in store for the decades ahead. Let me give you my experience. Uh, I started in real estate in the 80s, and at that time, real estate was, quote, a separate asset class. You had a handful of institutional investors, primarily insurance companies, but mostly high net worth and family offices that invest in real estate. It was highly fragmented and highly cyclical and highly levered. The downturn of the late 80s came when Reagan changed the tax law, and it, it evolved into what's called the remodern era, which I think started in 92 with Kimco and Security Capital, uh, Hearthstone, Prologis, uh, many of the other REITs. So the 90s was the, the decade. So the 80s was the decade of, of highly fragmented individual, lack of knowledge, not much liquidity, and highly volatile. The 90s decade was the, the decade of public companies and the very start of mostly up rates where you had uh, founders avoiding a big tax liability, maybe more the cowboys, uh, the gunslingers that had built businesses in the 80s. Now they're running public companies, and that's a completely different industry. Many of them prospered. Many of them had succession to more permanent uh, professional management. Then in the 2000s, the REITs entered the indexes. So the S&P, the Russell 2000, et cetera. Once that happened, that created a absolute requirement for institutions to invest in real estate because the vast majority of institutional investors, and that for that part, family offices and high net worth, track benchmarks, and they'll either overweight, outweight, or underweight. Remember the 80s, it was a separate asset class. And so you could go from capital to no capital, not you know overweight, outweight, or underweight. 2000s, now you have what I'd call permanent capital. And the benefit of the discipline and the transparency and the information that the REITs provided because of the SEC and the public reporting. REIT reporting, if you follow the supplementals, is some of the best, most transparent information you can get 
about investing in any public company uh, in the country. So one of the things I believe is that any investment should be measured by three things. One is transparency. How much information do you have? One is liquidity. How liquid is the investment? And the third is volatility. What's the risk of that investment? And what's happened over the last three decades is that transparency has increased. Liquidity has increased because we now have permanent capital. And I'm going to tell you that that volatility has decreased. Now, that we don't know yet because you have to have trailing 10, trailing 20-year numbers to do that. So my belief about the future is for the next decades, you're going to see permanent institutional capital. You're going to see the industry morph in a lot of ways. You'll see permanent professional investment. You'll see a lot more uh, liquidity, a lot more transparency, and in my view, less volatility than we've had in the three previous decades. You'll see us learning new languages. You know, we talk cap rates. The rest of the investment world, the rest of the investment portfolio at PRS or any institutional investment talks multiples. We talk loan to value. They talk debt to EBITDA. We don't even know what an information ratio is in real estate or what the sharp ratio is or what's the standard deviation. Those are all going to be terms that are used to measure and determine the return for non-real estate investments, public investments. And those are all going to be terms and things that we will see morph into the real estate industry over the next two to three decades. Charles Brindell Jr., executive chairman of Mill Creek Residential Trust, also echoed that sentiment regarding the increasing discipline and results-focused approach to real estate investing. The business of apartment development and operations and ownership has become a much more institutionally professional, I might say, business over the past 10 to 20 years. All of the elements that we're involved in, be that site selection or planning, design and construction, capital formation, property operations, asset and portfolio management, even accounting and reporting, each separately and together require much more, a much higher level, shall we say, of professionalism and a more disciplined approach and focus on results than ever before. And then if you couple that with the fact that today's apartment resident, our primary customer, is far more savvy and has a much higher level of expectation than ever in the past. We no longer simply provide shelter. We're trying to create real communities for our, our resident customers and a sense of a real home for our resident customers. So those are big, big changes over the last 10 to 20 years. I think a lot about how things might change further. And over the next 10 years, I really believe that technological advancements and evolution could change our industry. And when I say our industry, I'm, I'm thinking of the entire real estate industry beyond anything we can comprehend today. I think we could be on the cusp of advancements in many ways that will fundamentally change what we do and how we do it. And as it relates to the apartment industry, I think those changes could be significantly beyond anything that we've experienced almost since the advent of what today are, are routinely recognized large amenitized apartment communities, which were really first, um, first developed, uh, conceived and developed in the late 60s and early 70s prior to the 60s and 70s. Apartment development, like most real estate development, was just a cottage industry. In the 60s and 70s, it became uh, a much more widespread business. At that point in time, you had the concurrent emergence of regional developers. 
and many of those regional developers throughout the 70s and 80s then became national developers. Since that point in time, there hasn't been a lot of fundamental change in the business of apartment development and ownership. There's been a lot of change in capital formation, obviously. But I think as I look out over the next 10 years, we could see changes that are transformational in terms of what we do, how we do it, and where we do it. Technology was the number one topic that came up for our best minds, and it's not hard to see why. From our ubiquitous reliance on Zoom and other video communication tools during the pandemic to the business sector's embrace of data-driven decision-making, technology was on everyone's mind. Here's Karen Hollinger, Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Avalon Bay Communities, on how technology is enabling smaller organizations to mimic more established companies and how attitudes towards technology have changed in the last several decades. If you had said, listen, I have an idea on how to automate and there's gonna, it's gonna be a cost and, and the ROI is hopeful. I don't think that that would, would, really, would really fly. Um, and today, technology is not a necessary evil. It is core to our operations. Uh, it, it's impossible to think about um, anything we do and not think first about how to automate it. What I see now is that um, technology has become more, I'll call it democratized, where it, it used to be that you had to be an institutional player uh, in order to afford a real property management system, as an example, or to afford um, automated uh, push to your ILSs. Right. So so if you weren't an institutional player, you were left with leasing consultants posting on Craigslist. That was about that's about all you could do. Um, and now, you know, given the influx of capital from the from the venture capital space um, and just, you know, prop tech in general exploding, there's a lot of ways you can mimic an institutional player. So I, I think we're going to see uh, we're going to see more smaller players that mimic larger players. We're going to see the larger players spend more on technology, but in more strategic ways to to outperform. And we're going to see more technology solutions that are less. Um, all things to all people. We're going to see technology solutions that are specific to a customer set. And that could be a customer set like the young careerist who is perfectly fine not talking to you. Or it's uh, the customer who only wants short-term housing or they only want furnished housing or they want services, the concierge, or they want Wi-Fi, right? But it's it's less of that back office mentality of technology and more of tech to meet customer demands. Philip Delufka, CEO of Legacy International, echoed those sentiments about the industry's increasing reliance on technology, especially within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, when we've come to rely on tech innovations to stay connected with friends, family, and coworkers. Interestingly, Philip also brings it back to human relationships, just as Jonathan Roth did. Take a listen. Learning and realizing just how important that digital transformation that had been out there at the forefront going into the COVID environment that was really seen as tools and resources 
not not really as a necessity now have become uh, no longer temporary, but really per- a permanent part of the overall sales process and sales funnel. Those to the likes of the fly-throughs, the 3D virtual home tours, and many of those other tactics that we've we've talked about uh, in order to help the buyer see as much as they can about the community uh, or the product offering before they show up uh, and doing the social distance distancing, understanding uh, what it means and making that buying decision out in our communities. So um, those are really the strategies and tactics. I bring it all back to people and leadership and that is continuing to learn and respecting the DNA of, of every one of our communities and doing what's right for that particular uh, buyer, but definitely the digital transformation has now become a uh, has become more of a necessity versus just a tool or a resource available depending on life of project. Cindy Clare, Chief Operating Officer at Bell Partners, also had technology as one of the biggest game changers, both looking back and going forward. She also remarked on the increasing popularity of real estate as a professional field in recent years, as evidenced by the number of universities offering degrees in property management and real estate. I remember um, when we put computers out on the properties and some of my managers thought, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, I remember getting a pager and thinking, oh, no, now they can, you know, they can call us at any time. Who knew that, you know, just at a pager. Uh, But, you know, you think about where multifamily was, it was very much family owned companies, um, much more mom and pop always kind of the redheaded stepchild to the commercial world. Um, and then you think about where it is today, the golden child of the industry, much more institutional, much more financially driven, but still with that, you know, that personal touch, you're still interacting with people and you're still dealing with people's homes. So I think we've gotten the best of both worlds from that standpoint, but clearly the technology and you think about you know, we used to have the guidebooks that used to be the whole, you know, apartment section in the newspaper and all of the things that we used to do to drive traffic um, that now is done really through Internet. And and the fact that you can really target your market and understand your demographics, things that that we couldn't do, you know, even 15, 20 years ago. So I think the, the technology the fact that there are now universities that have property management degrees or even real estate degrees, you know, so um, there are people coming out of college. This is what they're choosing to do for their career, whether that's in property management or real estate investment or in the finance side, but that it's really focused on real estate. It is very different than when we started or when I started in this business. Cindy's answer also reflects some of what we heard from Charles Brindell Jr. and Steve LeBlanc about the overall professionalization and institutionalization of the real estate sector. Taking us back to the theme of technology, though, H. Jerome Russell, president of H.J. Russell & Company, had this to say about technology's role in increasing the pace and velocity of business and the unintended consequences that have popped up. Yeah, the speed of change is really, really accelerating, both from a physical, from a real estate from the vertical standpoint to uh, other aspects of decision-making, the specialization in what people do, the data, the analytics that's out in the marketplace, your ability to make decisions or to obtain information to make decisions is, is easily accessible 
and aggregate it in a way that makes it easier and makes things speed up. That's one. The capital that's in the marketplace right now, when the recession, right before the recession, you know, you you could kind of borrow up to 80%. Some cases, people were doing real commercial real estate deals at 90. These were conventional deals at 90% of cost, mm-hmm. et cetera. So now that's been replaced with equity, you know, so the banks are, the, the quality of the loans are much better. On the, from a balance sheet perspective of a bank, but then the equity has just, I don't know, I don't know if it's the stock market that's appreciating, but the creation of liquidity, whether it's from other parts of the world, is greater than the supply. So that's driving prices up. And again, in Atlanta, I remember back in 2008, you know, when, when I was doing the Sky Law, if there was a new project going up, you kind of you, everybody knew what everybody was doing. It was more local developers doing the work, and everybody kind of knew what everybody else was doing. Right now, it's so many new players here in Atlanta. There are new groups evolving, people breaking off, forming different companies. That is another piece. And these groups that are coming in, they tend to be a little more bolder in the projects, the risk taking has gone up, but it's also created a new class of enterprise value, which is creating some unintended consequences. So the thing that concerns me is the inequality of wealth and income is really starting to hit home. And this uh, is becoming a crisis, in my opinion, around affordability. We're starting to see these tent cities pop up in Atlanta. That was a big discussion we had earlier this morning with, you know, how do we deal with this? You know, everybody says we need affordable housing, but it's really, we really have to get a comprehensive plan, including, you know, the government, you know, whether here in Atlanta, municipal, state, we have to get a better definition of what affordable housing is and who's going to do it. So I think we're at a real critical, that's the thing that concerns me the most. Well said, and certainly something to keep in mind as we go forward and thinking about the social changes that we've seen in 2020. Affordability is a huge issue, and it's part of why we've created the RC Alco Foundation as a means to positively influence the availability and development of affordable housing. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you for joining me for this exploration of some of the biggest changes facing the real estate industry in the past, present, and future. I hope you were able to glean some wisdom from our podcast over the past two years. We love making it and can't wait to bring you more episodes of conversations with the best minds in real estate. Thank you again for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors. If you are interested in learning more about RCL Co., go to rclco.com and follow us on Twitter at RCLCo. Don't forget to subscribe to new episodes of the podcast and make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for tuning into the show.